Revelation, you can turn to Revelation 1, 4 through 8. And um, I want to thank Jeff Anderson. You, many of you guys know Jeff Anderson. He created these graphics. And actually, it's kind of funny because uh, Jeff Anderson sent me like this whole packet with posters and everything. And I'm just like, I just wanted a logo, but thanks for over-delivering there, brother. But um, uh, this is the prayer that we are going to pray together uh, at the beginning of the prayer. And I'm hoping that you at home can see it as you, uh, as I, I'm pretty sure y'all can see it here today, um, which is good. And this prayer will help us think. It'll help us think about God and about um, just who He is and how we come before Him. This prayer will help us think that the God of the Old Testament and the God in the New Testament, they're not different, but it's the same God now and forever. And this will help us think that He's also the God of the end times, that He has from the beginning to the end, uh, he knows all that's going to happen and we can just take great comfort in that, that he is uh, in the beginning and he created the heavens and the earth. And it reminds us that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are working in unison in our lives. Just, it, they always have been, but for now and forevermore, they will continue to work in our lives in unison. So will you guys please stand with me, those that are here? Will you stand with me? You can stand at home if you'd like. And we are going to just pray this together. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Blessed are the readers, hearers, and keepers of this word. And if you'll stay standing with me as I just read through this. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sin by his blood and made us a kingdom priest, uh, made us a kingdom priest to his God and, the, and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys may be seated. All right, let's uh, dive into this. I, I think that there's a, lot, there's a lot to cover here, and I want us to be able to look at it, and, and even in this small passage, again, we're setting the stage for where we're going to be for the next uh, year, a little over a year in Revelation. And this letter was mailed out by John. It was, it was mailed out by him. It wasn't, he, he was the transcriber, um, but he wasn't, uh, he wasn't 
the one who claims to have written it. He's the one who just says he transcribed it or that he, it was the message of Jesus. And scholars have debated over times whether this was the Apostle John, the one who wrote the, the book of John in the first, second, and third John. And so they, they've, they've um, uh, some have said that there's another person named John, that maybe there was just another pastor in the region called John. And so it was uh, that John. I take the stance that it's the Apostle John, one of Jesus' best friends, one that was there at the cross when Jesus died, and one that has followed him from a young age into old age. And there's a lot of reasons for this. But he is the one who has been pointing to Christ and been following Jesus for a long time. He would have started up in Jerusalem following in Judea in that in that region and he would have met Jesus there and he would have watched Jesus die he would have watched the church be persecuted he would have left Jerusalem and ended up apparently in Asia Minor as a pastor he is current where he is currently at the time this vision is given he's on the island of Patmos because he was exiled by the state Patmos was a like a Alcatraz, if you will. It was a prison island. And, and he would have been exiled by the state because of his activities as an atheist. And what I mean by that is an activity of someone who didn't believe that the Roman government was God. He would have been pushed out and he would have been sent away from there um, because of his activities with Christianity, with Christ followers, or some call it the way, and, and the, his activities with the church. He would have been uh, put out for speaking and doing the works of God. And he tells us that the vision is from Jesus and that he's just the faithful scribe of this text. So he delivers it, he wrote it down, and it is divinely inspired, not his own flesh that wrote this letter or made up this prophecy and he wrote it down and as John was exiled he was a sufferer for the gospel that he preached he was this humble messenger that and he endured just as even we were talking about before with with angels he is one that constantly is pointing to Christ over against himself and I believe that this letter is from John the apostle because of that because of the humility that he has, and that it is constantly on display from John throughout all accounts, that he is always willing to take a back seat to Jesus. And this is something I pray that we may all live and learn in light of John in this way, that we can learn to live in this humility. And then he wrote this church to, to the seven churches that are in Asia. And we will get into the seven churches that he addresses each one. Uh, Jesus addresses each one. But a brief note on the number seven is important as we get going. The number seven is the number of, it's a number of completeness or perfection. And uh, we can believe that there are seven literal churches that these, these letters were written to because they were written to these churches. There was proof, like archaeological proof, that these seven churches existed. And, um, but we can also believe that it is written for far more than those seven churches. The number seven, uh, the seven churches, I believe, represent 
all the churches that ever have been and ever will be. Whether they're big churches or small churches, whether they're impactful and in the community or they're huddled in a cave and they're just a little bit ingrown, you know, whatever it may be, every denomination, every congregation that gathers together to worship Jesus is a part of that seven churches because the number seven means whole and complete. That's what it means for us. And so when we hear the number seven, we should hear completeness. We should hear in a fact, in perfection, in, in a wholeness. And, and the fact that it says the seven churches, that's what leads me to believe that this letter is written for us today. The number seven equals, it's like seven equals one church. One church under Jesus, the church that Jesus redeemed. So that's what the number seven would mean. The numbers in the book of Revelation are important. They're not always literal. They may have a shadow, an, an earthly shadow, but they're, they also have like a heavenly significance and a metaphorical significance as well. Many scholars believe, in fact, that this book, the book of Revelation, is written in seven acts, like a play would have been. And then even within seven acts of those plays, there's seven items in each one of those seven acts. And so we have seven churches, we have seven scrolls, we have seven trumpets, we have seven seals, seven bowls of wrath, etc., 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 like seven, seven, seven. We can see it throughout the entire book. And then the number of completion, the number for God is seven, seven, seven. And so when we hear the number seven through the coming weeks, let's remember it's a symbol of completeness or perfection. The whole of its parts are perfectly in place, and that's what we get to see and believe. So as this letter was circulated by Pastor John of Patmos, it was circulated to the, not only the seven churches, but the complete number of churches throughout the ages as well. And the greeting in verse 4 also gives us a Trinitarian view of where our grace comes from. Grace and peace comes from the Father, the Son, and the seven spirits who are before the throne. And this is to believed to be the Holy Spirit. Because as you guys just learned, right, as we just learned, the complete or perfect spirit of God, the seven, church, the seven spirits that are around the throne is believed to be the one Holy Spirit who Jesus left for us, who leads us and who guides us and ministers to our hearts and souls about who Christ is in this day and age and, and has forever. So this idea of the seven spirits of God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God gives us as he leads us and guides us, he gives us this beautiful gift of grace and peace. We need, we need both to overcome all the obstacles that will lie in our way of faith. We are on a tough journey. Amen? How many of us think the Christian journey is tough, at times tougher than others? And it's a journey where we're going to be tempted to give in or give up. And we need grace and peace in our life if we're going to endure the trials that lie before us. This is an excellent gift from an excellent triune God 
to us. And as we work through Revelation, if we allow the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us into a deeper understanding of Jesus and who he is and how he works in us, there will be times when the Holy Spirit reveals stuff to us that hurt, that sting a little bit, that we don't want to see, that we want to keep just in our ignorance, and yet God, by his grace, will reveal and expose sins in our lives. And in those moments, we will need the grace and peace in these moments when our real weakness is revealed and we are feeling helpless as our true state reveals. The truth is, Revelation is a book of, uh, of um, punishment. There is a lot of punishment in Revelation. And in that time, it's for not only for those who don't believe in Jesus, but those who do believe in Jesus are also getting refined by a fire, who are going through some stuff. And in those moments... And from the onset, we need this grace and peace. As we live our lives, we want to endure with Christ until the end. Amen? We, in other words, we want to remain followers of Jesus from the moment that we met him until we see him face to face and we hear from him, well done, my good and faithful servants. In our home, we talk about people who follow Jesus and people who once followed Jesus and then no longer do. So um, when Hadassah and I were on our road trip a couple of weeks ago, um, she, uh, she, we were talking about this. We were talking about someone who followed Jesus at one point but no longer believes in Jesus. And she informed me that she wants to follow Jesus forever. And to that I say, Amen. Holy Spirit, please do that work, not only in her but all of our kids. And when I said in my email that we're, I was praying for the kids, this is what I'm praying for them, that they will love Jesus now and forever. And, but I told her, when she told me this, I said, you know what, sister, right now it's beautiful and it's glorious and I want this for you, but the road is hard. The road is difficult. There will be trials to come. There will be questions that are going to try and pull her away from Jesus that maybe some will have answers that she just can't see and some won't have answers until we see Jesus face to face. And that there's just going to be a hard time to come. And yet these verses add that she's going to need this grace and this peace to endure those questions and those hard times. This is the gift that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit gives to us from the onset of this letter as we seek to endure with him forever. It's nice to know that if your sins are going to be exposed, if the raw things of your life are going to be exposed, you are forgiven. Amen? It's nice to know that. Or as you find out that your works, the works that you've been doing and you've been claiming are Jesus' works in your life, that they are self-motivated and not a pure motive to follow Jesus. And as these are revealed, we are going to need to know that grace doesn't depend on us. Amen? We, in our failures, uh, in our failures are going to need to find the peace that only comes from grace and will bring us to a place that will keep us sane in our faith. And it's okay, in a sense, to be failures and watch Jesus pick up the slack for all of our failings, the failings of the church, the failings of each and every Christian, and we will see this clearly in this year. We will see failures 
uh, upon failures. For here in the year 2020, in the United States of America, we are in an election cycle. We are in an election cycle, and we are going to need the grace when we get caught up in politics. Amen? It's hard not to talk about this stuff. We are going to need to receive grace because we're going to be wrong at times. We're also going to need to give grace to those we believe to be ignorant. And we are going to need the peace that no matter, no matter the outcome, our King Jesus is still on the throne. He sees, he knows, and he cares that, and these earthly rulers cannot overthrow the kingdom of God. And he gives us his grace and his peace during this time. And I mentioned politics because the book of Revelation, as was the book of Psalms, the book of Revelation is extremely political. Extremely political. Even in this opening, the way that it's worded suggests that this, in this prophetic revelatory letter is far more political than we might see at first glance. From the onset, it is pitting the kingdoms of this world that you can hear Rome there, you can hear Babylon there, you can hear the United States there, you can hear any, like, the, the British Empire when it was at its peak. It's pitting the kingdoms of this world to the kingdoms of God. It's raising them both up and comparing them. Grace and peace that John was giving is, in a way, it's in direct oppositions to the greeting that Domitian was said to have give, given. And Domitian was a Roman emperor, and according to uh, one of the historians at the time, he would have, Domitian would have regularly prefaced, uh, prefaced his cruel sentences and his punishments that he was about to inflict with this phrase. It has pleased the Lord our God in his grace. And he would have been referring to himself there. And this would have been a signal that something horrible is about to pass. That something horrible is about to come. And yet we can see here from the onset that Jesus, given to John, written down, is suggesting that his audience lives by a different sort and a different source of grace and peace. This means that God's grace is actually grace. It's actually given. It's not merited. It's undeserved. It's given to us in a different way. That God's mercy was actually mercy, not this fake mercy that Domitian would have given. That in bad times may come, but in God's grace and His peace, they're sufficient for what is at hand. They're sufficient for all that is at hand. And as we experience God's grace and his peace, we will be able to see that God is greater. That God's ways are far above the grace and peace that the world offers, that it's more real, that it's more honest, that God, even, in his even when he's disciplining, disciplining us, leaves us uh, more whole because we will see him better. Even if we can still have scars from some of these battles, we can see that he is more real and he leaves us better and that heaven and earth are both closer than we can imagine and further away in the ways that they work. And there is enough of the earth that represents heaven that will give us a good picture to God's greatness in his everlasting kingdom. 
The kingdom that we serve and we walk in and are citizens of is not the United States. Amen. We can say amen to that, right? We live here, and some of us may love it. Some of us just may tolerate it. But we get to be reminded that we are of the kingdom of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this new kingdom that we are part of is not necessarily an earthly one, although it reigns over earth. It is a spiritual one. And we live now by the Spirit and not by the flesh. And in this new kingdom, we stand up against sin. We stand up against Satan. We stand up against death and fallen angels and the like. But we also stand for the truth that is given us in Jesus Christ. That he lived, that he died, that he was risen again and will come again with the clouds, that he gives grace and forgiveness for those who believe and confess their sins and their needs for him, that he gives us redemptions, that he's purchased us by his blood, and we are called to be faithful witnesses like Jesus is a faithful witness. And as we look to follow Jesus, we're given this picture of him here, one who has freed us from our sins by his blood, We see the importance of communion and the cross. We see that it is broken body and is shed blood. And through that, we have freedom from sin because of the works of Jesus, not our own works. This is his grace to us. Forgiveness and redemption come from Jesus. We live out of the values that Jesus has shown us in hopes that these values of love and forgiveness and redemption will liberate us, will set us free, free from the bondage of sin. And these values will not only free us from the bondage of sin, they will transform us to look more like his image and be a more faithful witness of his kingdom here on earth, the kingdom that we are citizens of. And that we will serve as a healing agent and that we may do this until we see, until we die or until we see Jesus come back with the clouds. Jesus is the one who has freed us from all our sin and we worship him because he is worthy of all our praise and glory. And we know that this work is not ours, it is his work in and through us. Jesus' love is continuous. It has never and will never leave us, ever. He is here revealed uh, to us as the ruler of this new kingdom. Jesus is also the firstborn, and that firstborn means that he was born into a, a, a position of privilege and honor, and that he sets aside that privilege and honor for us, that we might be able to walk with him, He is our witness, seeing all and making himself known. And this word witness is an interesting one because this word witness actually means martyr. He is a witness even to the point of death. He wants to show us God's grace and love so badly that he went to the cross and died for us. And as we are asked to be witnesses in his place, we need to see what is being asked of us is that we might even become like he is a martyr. If that's what he has for us. But either way, we endure no matter 
what the cost that is laid before us. That we can see that Jesus did this for us and we get to endure as well. And we can also see that Jesus is our priest. That in that he is our servant before God. He is the one who is um, right now meditating or mediating for us between God and us. We can go to Jesus and ask him and Jesus is saying, my blood covers that one. My blood covers that one. He, because he has purchased us with our, our freedom, with his blood. And he is reminding God the Father of that all the time. Jesus as our Redemptor uh, is, is a beautiful thing. And for all this glory from heaven and revealed to us on earth, this is why we praise him. This is why we worship him. This is why we believe that all the glory is due to his name. As one commentator puts it, the obedient martyr witness has acted in love. The prince has been crucified. His actions spell our release from captivity brought about by sin. Or as we learn about Christ, we will also learn about our new roles in this kingdom. Because we have new roles in this kingdom where we're new citizens. G.K. Beale, a, a commentator that I, I'm sure I'll quote numerous times through this, through this time. And he's got a name like G.K. So you can tell it's really authentic and smart. So if you just start with initials, it's really a good thing. But he says, Christ's death and resurrection established a twofold office. Not only for himself, not only the office that Jesus had but also for believers. In other words, we are witnesses and priests of this new kingdom where Jesus is our king. Blessed are the readers, the hearers, and keepers of this word. We are the speakers, the listeners, and keeper of God's word given to us in Christ. This moves us out of so many stresses and worries, moves us out of those things and into grace and peace that is our gift that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit want to give us. This could say, move us from our worries about the world and all that we've seen that's wrong with it, particularly in 2020, and into a place where we are listening for what Jesus would have us do right now, and then Acting on that, instead of running from one fire to the next, literal and metaphorical in this sense, running from one bad thing to the next, there is a peace in the kingdom of our new citizenship that we are so desperately longing for to feel. We desperately long to feel peace and be at peace. And I pray that as we submit ourselves to Christ, that we may feel the Holy Spirit give us the peace that he's given us here. But before we go today and before we're done, one last revelation about God as he speaks to us. He says this, I am the Alpha and Omega who is and was and is to come, the Almighty. Before we dive into other parts of this letter and before we dive into all that the Holy Spirit's going to do in our lives during this time, we need to be reminded from the onset who is overall. God has been there from the beginning. He will be there in the end. He is the beginning and the end as well as everything in between. 
And as we live in our present reality, we know the eternal truth that he is and was and is to come. And this brings us comfort. He is over all, everything. He is over all the drama that has come before this time. He is over all the drama that is in this time. And he will be over all the drama in the ages to come. He is the one that will stand forever and ever. And this gives us a stone, a cornerstone to rest upon. A a place, a platform that we can just dive into the uncertainty of this world. And this platform, this Christ, this God, this Alpha and Omega, the Almighty, this is where our peace comes from. Not from all else's sinking sand. It doesn't come from that. It comes from our faith in Jesus Christ. It's given to us, revealed to us by the Holy Spirit from God our Father. Grace and mercy, church, this is my prayer for us. Let us get out of the sin that we're so comfortable with. Sins that we see now and sins that we don't see. Let the Holy Spirit reveal them and then leave them behind as we walk as new citizens of this new kingdom with our new King, Jesus. Let us not ignore or reject the message or the messenger that is given to us in the verses to come. Let us not reject the messenger Jesus who is worthy of all honor and glory and praise because there's judgments ahead. There's judgments ahead and it doesn't go well for those who reject God. So let us serve and worship him forever and listen to him forever and ever so that we may endure in our faith until we see him face to face until he comes with the clouds. Jesus I pray that you will come and that you may come soon. Lord, I pray that we can reflect on you, that we can know you, that we can understand that you are the Alpha and Omega, you are the Almighty, that all grace and peace comes from you, and that we get to be faithful witnesses and priests of this new citizenship that we have. So be with us, lead us, and guide us. In Jesus' name. Amen.